Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny. For those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there's a flip book and in that flip book it's very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. A lot of the print is highlighted in red which are links to YouTube videos that are very profound and amazing, highly confirming from many fields of science as well as archaeology. The reality of what I am sharing here and what am I sharing about the ultimate reality. The original name of God in the Old Testament is Yahweh. Some pronounce it Yehovah, but the more accurate pronunciation is Yahweh, and the other word that's often with it is Elohim. What do those words literally mean in the original? Well, Yahweh is the ultimate reality, the I am that I am. And Elohim is literally the Almighty's, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, for God to be Almighty, he must be in personage simultaneously in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, as the Father in creation, the full expression of the Father, the word Son means expression, in creation as the Son, and in omnipresence, filling all dimensions of time and space, and so on in creation and beyond with the Father as the Holy Spirit. God is love, and his love is so great. It has such purity and integrity that it always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. It is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is very pure. It will not tolerate corruption. It is the opposite of corruption. It is the destroyer of corruption, this love. This is the holiness of God or the defensive aspect of his love from which springs forth the greatness in the manifestation of his love that his love has always been and always will be so great that he could come into this time and space world, this little speck of a planet in the midst of his vast creation, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, to become a perfect, atoning, substitutionary sacrifice to take your sins upon himself so that you could choose to repent and receive his forgiveness and his love. There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this or that could exist. And only such love would be an ultimate trustworthiness, worthy to be entrusted with unlimited authority and life and power without being corrupted by it or using it in an incorrupt way. And thus is indicative that God is the very source of love and from which issues reality in all creation in its beauty as God has created it, all that is good. Of course, we were created with the capacity to love and thus we are the source of our own action and therefore self-responsible for our actions and therefore the source of our own choices. Therefore, we cannot blame God for creating the devil or evil, for those choices are our own and originated from us because we were created not as a robot, but self-originating with the capacity to love, making us self-responsible. Well, I am here to give a message to those that have come 
to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, the ultimate manifestation and perfection of love, the very source of love and of all good. And so I want to share with you how I share these messages. The Word of God commands in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. When we are to meet with God, with each other, around Jesus Christ in assembly, whether small or great, whether it's two people or a large congregation or anything in between, we are to seek to allow God to speak through us to one another out of our relationship with God. It should be the common practice that there are many in each meeting, whether small or great, that can spontaneously share without asking permission to use the mic or anything else. They need to be free when they sense the Spirit of God rise up in them, to not quench the Spirit, but to allow God to speak by His Spirit. This was the way it was in the beginning in the early church. It's plainly written there in the New Testament describing that when they come together, one has a song, another has a word of exhortation, another a word of knowledge, etc., etc. It's something that's greatly lacking in the church, that the church has lost, and that God wants to restore in fullness in these last days as he calls his people to repent of limiting the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the corporate assemblies throughout the earth especially in this hour of crisis, how dare we bury our heads in the sand and continue to be lukewarm and to not be awake and alive in the fullness of God's purpose for the last days, which is nothing less than the fulfillment of John 17, which is the zeal of God's heart. And woe to those in the last days that would stand in the way of God bringing forth his corporate bride upon the earth in local assemblies that will not limit his glory in their lives individually or corporately in the gathering of the saints. I want to share with you today that I seek to speak as the oracles of God as commanded in 1 Peter 4.11. And let me amplify on that with Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is only when we worship God in spirit and in truth with great reverence and humility and love for God that we can be filled with the spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances that come from God that are prophetic, in other words, or that are, in other words, speaking as the oracles of God. And so I, to facilitate this, will do cast lots to get any possibility of a chapter. And I get two chapters with two independent random applications. And I do this with great reverence before God, and it works every time. To find out what God is wanting me to speak, because it says in Matthew 25, Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh shall find so doing. Doing what? Giving the sheep their meat in due season. True shepherds seek to speak as the oracles of God. And they speak with great love for God and great reverence for God.
to his people. God is calling his people to be those that all are walking in such a relationship with him and functioning in such a relationship with him and with each other. So I want to share with you the two chapters I received by the casting of Lot before God, which is very scriptural, both in the Old and New Testament. It was even practiced by powerful movements of revival in church history like the Moravians, who even chose their own wives by the casting of Lot. It's not everyone that maybe God calls to use the casting of Lot's for preaching a message. But I get two chapters that they might bear witness with each other as to the theme. And time and time again, I get the right chapters that obviously have a common theme. And I want to share with you what God is saying today on this day of December the 16th of 2022 on Friday. In this time of grave crisis in the world. And so before we share from those two chapters, which I only spent a half an hour meditating on and then speak, I don't know what I'm going to speak on it. I'm trusting God out of a heart set and a mindset of worship that the spirit of prophecy will flow out of me that will testify of the reality of Jesus Christ. As it says in Revelations 19.10, which I just explained. So today, first of all, I want to share with you the song that I chose. And I didn't do this by the casting of Lord. I just sought one that was appropriate from my playlist which is on my website at loverealize.com, which have exceptionally wonderful songs with great meaning and depth, unlike what is so prevalent today in most churches, shallow songs with very little meaning in the words and not even that nice in the tuning and the melodies. But these are all exceptional, modern songs, including older ones. And so today I chose this song out of the many that I have on the playlist, which is only songs that you can put up on a YouTube video to see the words, and that can be used to start a church if you don't have musicians for whatever or you don't want to use musicians because you can have the words with the music through playing on your projector a YouTube video of them. So here is the song today, and so I will begin to put it on. When the burdens grow greater, He sendeth more strength. When the labors increase, to added affliction, He addeth His mercy to multiply trials. His multiplied peace. For his love has no limits, his grace has no Yeah. 
when we have exhausted our store of endurance and our strength has failed ere the day is half done we've come to the end of our hoarded resources our father's full giving has only begun his love has no limits his grace has no wonderful and that is so true from the passage that I received today one of the passages of scripture particularly and so we will go to those passages of scripture now and out of a heart set and mindset of worship I want to share the word of God in the love of Jesus Christ the two passages I received today by the casting of Lot were Ecclesiastes 7 and 1 Samuel 2. And I discovered that there was two common themes between these two chapters. They are the importance of mourning and humility to birth what is pure before God and to his glory. There is also the theme of sacrificing our children before God. Because one of them, 1 Samuel 2, is on Hannah. And Hannah was willing out of love and thankfulness to God to give Samuel unto God without knowing if God would bless her with more children. And indeed, God did bless her with a good number of children after that. Which is so appropriate to the hymn that we just sung. Because you see, she was exhausted of any of her own strength, of her own resources. But did she give up and get bitter of God? No. No. She mourned before the priest so that he thought she was drunk. She mourned, but with faith in God, with belief in her barrenness that God would come through. Later on in that same chapter, Eli saw that his two sons were very evil and committing great sin with lying carnally with women lining up to give their sacrifices unto God with the men, and then stealing from the sacrifices. And it was a great offense against God. But Eli failed to remove them from being priests. He still honored them in the fact that he allowed them to continue to be in the priesthood as those that were bringing people to God. 
He didn't sacrifice his children like Hannah, did he? So first of all, I want to go into Ezekiel chapter 7. It says a good name, name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Well, it is when you know your destiny is heaven, isn't it? It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This is also vanity. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. <coughs> to pardon a little bit of a cough I still have hanging on, but it's gradually fading out. God is calling us as his people to know the manifestation of his glory in our lives individually and corporately. And people think that if we show lots of joy by putting it on, that that's going to do something. Am I for joy? I am all for joy. The joy of faith is our victory. And those, it says, blessed are those that seek the Lord. And, and it promises that if we fulfill his commandment to love him with all our being and one another with all our being, that we will be filled with joy. So this message is not a message telling you that you should mourn and not experience joy, but rather actually have the genuine manifestation of the joy of God in its fullness and glory instead of the counterfeit or what is very limited, if any, that is genuine joy in the Holy Spirit. One thing that is lacking in the body of Christ is that there's not a deep turning in the heart and the deep turning of the heart does require that there are times where we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. There's a time for everything. And there's a time to mourn. And there's a time to rejoice. And God is calling his people to learn what it is to rend our heart and not our garment. There can be outward phony joy and there can be outward phony mourning. Both where we're just renting our garment. and it's been, But it's not the common practice today. The pro common practice today is, oh, we all want to show everyone how much joy we have. Well, if you try to manufacture it, brothers and sisters, it's counterfeit. And it's not going to get very far, and the world will see through that. Because one thing about people that are in the world is they can usually see through what is real and what is merely religious if they're the ones that are searching for the truth, that is, and are not themselves hypocrites. 
The Word of God is filled with verses that emphasize in the New Testament, as well as the Old, the importance of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. It says in James, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. I know my heart is made better when I mourn. Paul had many tears for the church. And he was among them in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. He knew the vitality of union with God through a heart that was humble and broken before him. A heart that knew what it was to continually be circumcised before God in a circumspect walk before men. And God is calling us to be those that circumcise our hearts, that know what it is to circumcise our hearts. <coughs> to really genuinely turn in our hearts to God out of the genuine fear of God that births great honesty and transparency before God individually and corporately. And of course, you cannot have great honesty and transparency before God if you are not willing to humble yourself to face the reality of your situation, to be truthful, to be honest before God. The genuine fear of God brings and births great reverence before God. And as we continue to read here in Ecclesiastes 7, that becomes evident. It says in Ecclesiastes 7, 16 to 18, Be not righteous overmuch, neither make thyself overwise. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish, why shouldst thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldst take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. He that feareth God shall come forth of them all. When we have the genuine fear of God within us, we do not fall into the trap of self-righteousness that can destroy us because we're trying to be so righteous like the Pharisees. Or on the other hand, so cold and wicked that our foolishness causes us to die before our time. Because of our own foolish choices, God is calling us as his people to be those that know the genuine fear of God. And the genuine fear of God is a choice to rightly perceive God out of great reverence and humility for who he really is. First, in his holiness. And his holiness is severe against all sin. And I shared this in the other message too, how King David, when they were taking the ark, the priests began to be presumptuous and they allowed the ark not to be carried, but to be on the cart when it was supposed to be carried. 
And then when it started to become unstable in the cart, the priest reached forth his hand and he was immediately smitten by God dead. It says that King David was afraid of God. And we also can sometimes misinterpret the severity of God's dealing in our lives out of his holiness or out of the integrity of his love for us. Likewise, as we observe the world around us experiencing such terrible suffering, it is easy to focus on the consequences of God's judgment rather than upon who God is in the integrity of his love to allow it. God's love or the holiness of God, which is the integrity of his love, will not tolerate corruption. And even to those that are righteous, he allows them to go through many trials. That there might be an enlarging in us of our relationship with him in greater and greater realms when we come out the other end of the trial of fulfillment as it was in the case of Job. Oh, some people say, oh, Job had that happen because he had this fear. Brothers and sisters, don't deceive yourself with such false teaching. The word of God makes it clear that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. It makes it clear that we through much tribulation shall enter the kingdom of God. It makes it very clear that after you have suffered a while, he will strengthen, establish, and settle you, just as was the case with Job. Job had the genuine fear of God before he went through the trials. But what did Satan say before God? We'll see if he fears you after you put him through this and you even attack his flesh. We'll see if he fears you then. The issue was whether someone feared God. The genuine fear of God is a choice to recognize God as good in the severity of his holiness and is so good that we can trust him even when it seems he's against us and like he's attacking us. That we still recognize his creativity is greater than those contradictions and that he will take those contradictions, the greater they are, to make all the more a greater creativity out of it in our lives, a fulfillment that is ultimately to his glory when we trust him through the trial. That is why it says in the epistle of Peter, forget if it's first and probably most likely second Peter, it says, to them that suffer, they are to commit the keeping of their soul unto him as unto a faithful creator. Because when you're suffering, you need to recognize God's creativity. That's why God spent a number of chapters there in Job, a good number of chapters, describing his creative power, how great it was. Don't you recognize that I'm in control? Can't you see how creative I am, Job? Why are you not trusting me? Why are you having all these doubts in your mind and so on that you're expressing? Job finally came through, and he came through that trial with great blessing and victory and greater blessing than he'd ever experienced before. But you can believe he was mourning through the trials, and the Word of God says, though ye be in heaviness through for a season through manifold trials, know that the trying of your faith will yield. 
the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. It doesn't mean that we have a dull, boring life of trials. Brothers and sisters, Christ came to give us life and to give it more abundantly as that song pointed out that we sung that out of the trials, there is all the more. It's because he wants to bless us so much more with the abundance of his presence, of his glory, and of his life. How is it that people like Brother Young, the heavenly man, which you can look up on YouTube. I've read his book. What is it called? Lily Among Thorns. I forgot the title of it, even though I've read it. Can you imagine? There's, it's impossible what he went through in the natural to be trusting in our own resources. I mean, here he goes on a fast for 74 days without liquid or food. And at that time, he's being terribly tortured as well. Even thrown into the, all the poo in them from the men in the sewer. And, oh, all of this happened to him. And they were betting on whether he would live till the morning. He was only 60 pounds and didn't look human. And suddenly, when they're betting on him and one's a Muslim and they're all told to give him a really hard time and torture him so they'll get less years. And they're betting on whether he's going to live till the morning suddenly gets up on the stool and starts preaching with power. And every single person in there, including the Muslims, repented and found the true and living God. And you can read how God supernaturally caused him in the broad daylight with guards around to walk right past them without them seeing him and gates to open without them seeing. And he escaped to Europe and to the West. Even that was an amazing miracle. How he got on the plains and everything was an impossibility. But this shows the power of God to make a way where there is no way right through the Red Sea, so to speak. When we are exhausted of our own resources like the children of Israel, which could not turn anywhere but to God. And God came through and he will come through in the last days for them. When they're military might is broken on the second day from the military forces. Why do I say second? Because I've seen a young lad that died and saw the future and I know that that does happen. Their military might is broken. Many of them are tortured and taken captive. Two-thirds. But that is when God comes on the scene. He comes in onto the Mount of Olives. And they look on him as it says, they shall look on me. That's God. The me is referring to Yahweh. They shall look on me whom they have pierced. God is returning soon to this earth. And he wants a people that will be nothing less than entering the fullness of an abundant life. And if you think Brother Yun didn't know, what Brother Yun said was, he'd rather be in prison and experience the abundance of the liberty and the life of communion with God than to be in some church that was lukewarm. In essence, that's what he said. That's not his literal words, obviously. But in essence, he said that. 
brothers and sisters. He experienced the abundance of life in the midst of the greatest contradictions you could imagine. And God's grace is sufficient for whatever he allows. He doesn't call us all to be a martyr. He doesn't call all of us to be tortured to death like many martyrs were, burned at the stake. But his grace is sufficient for whatever he calls us to go through, for it is him that is shaping us as a special, unique stone to fit into the beautiful mosaic of the family of God in heaven that will ever enlarge and create a fellowship and expression with God and with each other. He will give us many wonderful creative things to do and live out for him. And it will go on forever without end. Now I want to read a little bit from 1 Samuel 2, 1-4. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in Yahweh. Mine horn is exalted in Yahweh. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as Yahweh, for there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God or our Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the original. Talk no more so exceedingly proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth for the Lord, that is Yahweh, is a Almighty's of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. The genuine fear of God requires that we come before God and admit our weaknesses and not shrink back from them. That's why it says in Hebrews that in the time of need we are to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain help in the time of our weakness when we are exhausted of our own resources. So here Eli is, and his two sons have been found out to be extremely wicked in this 1 Samuel chapter 2. And in contrast with Hannah, he doesn't put his sons on the altar. He allows them to continue in the priesthood. And so it says that he honored his sons because he allowed that when he shouldn't have because they were an abomination to God and God slew them in his anger in the battle that came. Eli rebuked them. He told them, what you're doing is terrible. It's a sin against God. But it's not enough to rebuke when you have someone in a position of authority that is in sin and to allow them to continue, especially leading God's people. And so God is calling us as his people to purge out the leaven in our own lives individually by a heart of true repentance, that we learn what it is to mourn before him, that we learn what it is to turn with all our heart to him, maybe even with fasting and weeping, and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. God's exhortation for the last days in Joel is that there's multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And we are at that time when gross hopelessness and darkness is covering the earth. 
and he's calling his people to arise and sign, as it says in Isaiah 60. Part of that is learning to come into a vital, deep communion of oneness with God that requires the circumcision of the heart, the humbling of our hearts before him. And those are the ones that will display by far the greatest joy. I was reading the early church writings of what the Apostle Paul was like. And it says he was a man that was very sober, faced. But that when you talked to him, his face lit up with great joy. So just because a person looks sober and grave doesn't mean that they're not filled with the joy of God. The genuine joy of God. But they also know what it is to mourn and weep as all the patriarchs did, as Paul the Apostle did over the church. It says that we're to be sober and vigilant because the adversary, the devil, goes about seeking whom he may devour. Brothers and sisters, the scripture is filled in the New Testament with verses that command the importance of sobriety, but that doesn't take away from the joy. It increases it. And he's calling us to know what it is to enter into such a love relationship with him that he can pour out such an abundance in your life beyond what you can imagine. Doesn't mean your life's going to be easy, but it does in a way because he's going to be there to help you through it. My burden is, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he helps carry the yoke through the trials as he did with Brother Yun even. God is calling us to wake up and be his bride. And I've written a book called God, Headship and Body Invasion and everything that should be in a local assembly of believers in the last days to not limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ. It also goes into great detail about tongues and great detail about the seven ones in Ephesians and many other interesting things. And of course, now I've come out with a book that's a far bigger book on the afterlife titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable which you can also purchase on Amazon, both in Kindle format as well as print. I would encourage you to do that to help support me because I'm going through a trial right now where I don't have hardly anything left financially. I should have been given $93,000 more that, was take, that I haven't received. That is mine rightfully from my parents. And I was the one that always visited them and it's not been given to me. That's difficult. I should be in a good place financially now, but I'm not. And I can't go into the explanation of why that all happened. But I am believing God for provision. He will direct my path because I want the resources to be free to have a team of people and to begin to plant churches that will be a conquering bride church in these last days to conquer this nation where I live in Canada for the glory of God, to conquer United States for the glory of God and the nations of the world for the glory of his kingdom in these last days. We cannot settle for anything less, brothers and sisters, than a total, lavish, wholehearted love relationship with God, which means there's the great genuine fear of God. When you really love someone, you treat them with great reverence. They're precious to you. You cannot help 
but want to go before your brothers and sisters and wash their feet and tell them how much you appreciate them, despite the things in them that irk you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message.